Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host, as always, Phil Landides, and I want to thank you for taking the time to join us for today's show. On the episode today, I am extremely excited. We have former Strike Force matchmaker Rich Chow on the show. I haven't talked with Rich. Uh, it's, it's been about a year since I talked with Rich. We actually discussed having him on the show, but he was working full-time for Bellator at the time, and we weren't sure we were going to be able to make it happen, but he has actually since left that full-time position, although he is still consulting with the promotion and Scott Coker, and he was able to make a lot of time, actually, to be with me, and so I, this is a really great conversation. We talk about his formative years. I didn't know that he actually fought. Uh, he fought once, actually, in MMA before moving over to the, you know, the talent and production side, and so it's we just we break down so much. We talk about strike force, bring back a lot of good feelings for Rich and it's just a really, really cool conversation. It's longer than most of our, our interview episodes, but it's absolutely worth it. Definitely something that um you're you're gonna enjoy this for sure. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right, on the line with us, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Rich Chow, former Strike Force matchmaker, now the VP of North America Operations for Wimp to Warrior. Rich, welcome to Inside the Hexagon. Hey, what's up, Phil? Thanks for. Uh, I'm very excited to uh, chop it up with you today. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm really excited about this. Uh, you know, we've talked to Scott Coker, and and you know, you and I talked when you were still working regularly with Bellator about. Um, you know, having you come on and there's, you know, just always some, uh, when you're currently working for promotion, you're talking about another promotion, there's always potentially some issues. So, uh, we were hoping we'd be able to make this work and, and here we are. So I'm, I'm excited to chat with you as well. So let's, let's kind of go back to the beginning. So, um, tell us about your, your entry into MMA. You were, I understand a star high school athlete. Then you got into, uh, you got into MMA, like fighting as a combatant. I didn't realize that you would actually, competed inside the cage before. So tell us about what kind of drew you into the sport and how you got involved in, uh, in MMA as a fighter. Yeah, sure. So, um, taking it back to really the late nineties, um, is when I fell in love with, uh, jujitsu. So that was kind of my, my entryway into, uh, into the world of, of MMA. It started off with jujitsu. It was in the late nineties. I was going to, to school in Southern California, going to college in Southern California and I uh, started training. And, um, when I had the opportunity, uh, after graduation, um, actually I worked a little bit in, in, um, like the, uh, Calabasas thousand Oaks area. And, um, as soon as I got the opportunity, I uh, moved to Hawaii. Right. Uh, MMA was legal there at the time. And I really just had this, this curiosity and this, 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 uh, uh, passion and, and itch. I really just had to scratch. So, uh, quit, quit my job, moved, moved over there to Hawaii and, um, started training with Egan Inoue, uh, Egan Inoue, Barrett Yoshida, the whole team. There were so many great guys. There it was a really great environment to be around as a, you know, a 21 year old, just, wanting to learn martial arts, uh, and, and just find out what this MMA thing was all about and, uh, ended up fighting uh, around 2002. Um, uh, I've actually fought in a ring. It was super okay. brawl. At right. the time. So right. fought in the ring, took the fight on a few days notice. 
That was uh, TJ Thompson's promotion. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's how I first met TJ and um, lost a decision. My coaches were, uh, were actually pretty satisfied with it given who the opponent was and the amount of time I had been training. And, you know, so they, they, they got all excited and I wanted to put me on this path to, you know, continue to take these fights and super brawl. And, um, you know, after that fight, um, which was an amazing experience, I'm very glad I had a chance to do it, learned a lot from it. And um, after that fight, uh, shortly after I uh, met, met the Penn family and they were promoting uh, an event called Rumble on the Rock. Right, right. And so that's where I really transitioned from, you know, I, I had the fight and it was like these, I was at the crossroads, you know, um, there was an opportunity to continue to fight with the team. And, and like I said, my um, coaches were, were, um, were satisfied with, with what they saw and they felt like, Hey, you know, with some more experience, I, I could be okay. And then over here on the other side, I uh, met this um, really awesome family that were doing big things in the MMA world. And obviously, you know, BJ, um, it was exciting to meet him and and get a chance to uh, get to know him better and learn from him. So I ended up kind of veering away from the the, the fight path, the fight career and heading into the promotional side. So it was a very, uh, uh, you know, short lived um, foray into, into actual competition, but I'm very grateful for it. And I have no regrets about kind of the decision I made at that point um, to uh, kind of venture more into the business slash uh, promotional side of things, instead of, you know, continuing down the path of, um, of, of uh, taking more fights. Yeah, fewer punches in the face. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, definitely. But that experience and that, that type of training that, that I've been able to do over the years has certainly helped me um, in my various roles in in the MMA promotional side, you know, to understand what a fighter has to go through, you know, from a weight cut to the hard training, to the preparation, to obviously, like you said, getting your face punched. Um, I've been in that situation before. uh, um, And I think understanding that and, and understanding what a fighter goes through has been very helpful in my career. Yeah. You know, it's being that Scott Coker was a, you know, a, successful competitor in, you know, competitive karate and, you know, so MMA wasn't really around at that point, but him having that, I think you can probably speak to this more, but probably made him have more respect in the eyes of fighters. Same thing with you versus guys like Dana who, you know, have never, you know, supposedly he did some boxing, amateur boxing at some point, but being that you guys actually competed in the sport or something adjacent to the sport, I would think that that gave you a little bit more cachet and respect with the fighters because you do understand what they go, what they go through. And, and I, I think, you know, that makes sense that that would help you with that. Yeah, absolutely. It's fun to, uh, and I, I honestly don't do this enough, but I love training with everyone that we uh, work with. Um, just, just really, uh, as a fan, as a lot, as a passion martial artist, but also professionally, you know, to, to help get sharper, to learn, to understand things better. Cause you know, if my job for the last you know, almost two decades now has been to evaluate talent. And if you don't know, you know, what true talent is, and if you don't know the sport, like on that level, like it just, it just helped me get better. um, Just have more of a trained eye and just understanding training and fight culture in that, at that level has been very helpful because I do feel like um, uh, like perhaps not enough people have it. 
you know, you have a lot of fans and perhaps uh, people who are very articulate, um, you know, can speak well, can write well, just sharp dudes, but they don't really have that background. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, perhaps they may not, you know, really, really um, have a full grasp. You know, I, I've since day one, I've tried my best, Phil, to learn everything. I've done everything there is to do. I've refereed over a hundred fights in Hawaii. I fought, competed in several jujitsu tournaments. I've been in several training camps um, in various capacities and obviously, you know, promoted um, and, and matched several fights in various organizations. So I've always tried my best to, 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 to get as much experience in this game, in this industry, in this sport, however you want to describe it as um as uh, much as possible. Well, I, so I, I do want to jump back to you know, those formative years uh, because I, it, it is important. And like you said, you've been in the, the business or the, like you said, business sport, whatever you want to call it for, you know, around, oh, around almost 20 years. Um, but you, you crossed over into the rumble and the rock promotion in 2004 and between super brawl and rumble on the rock, it, Hawaii doesn't get the attention, I think from a sport, uh, like a historical perspective as it should, when it comes to MMA, because, I mean, you know, you have the pen, you have the Penn brothers, of course, JD, you know, more on the business side, but you know, BJ, and then there's Carlos Condit, Jake Shields, Eddie Alvarez, uh, Cabbage Correa, you know, Tank Abbott fought there, Tim Sylvia, Anderson. So, I mean, there's so many names from, from his history that, you know, some guys that are like Carlos had just retired, Eddie's still active. You know, there's so many big names that fought there that, you know, the, it, it's crazy. So um, I'm curious help like crossing over to that more talent, you know, operation side, did you feel like, all right, this is my calling. Like, this is, this is what I want to do. And I, you know, don't know how, how long it's, I'm going to be here for 20 years necessarily, but did, did you feel like, man, this is it. This is what I want to do. I'm enjoying this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, thanks for recognizing Hawaii and uh, what a special place um, it is for, for MMA. Um, all the names you mentioned, there's several others, you know, oh, we could, I know we, that was off the top of yeah, my head. I know. Totally, others. Yeah. We could spend the entire day going over the, the rich history um, and, and um, you know, all, all the amazing guys that have, that have fought in Hawaii and helped contribute and build the scene over there. Yeah. It, look, right place, right time for me, man. I'm so lucky. You know, I was just a, a, a kid at that time that loved um, uh, MMA, loved jujitsu, had this curiosity and passion for it. Um, just met the right people at the right time. And Hawaii uh, really was the hotspot for MMA prior to this boom, you know, prior mm -hmm. to kind of the, I would say, you know, the, the, the TV era, kind of the, the quote yeah. unquote mainstream era. Um, so many guys just wanted to fight. I mean, the sport wasn't even legal in California. Right. You know, right. When, 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 when I was getting going, right. much less New York, right. Which just, oh, yeah, really just happened. Right. Yeah. So when you, when you think about it back then, all those guys, you know, first of all, it's not, it's not difficult to, con to, con to convince someone to go visit Hawaii. Right. right, in, fact, right. in my experience, I can tell you that we, we were, we were able to get, um, better deals because the guys just said, Hey, I'll, I'll fight for you for this. Can I stay for a few? Stay extra for, days? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's a very cool and fun and, uh, and special place just to visit. And I think that really helped contribute to, um, you know, why people really wanted to go there and compete. And, uh, and yeah, it just me being there at that time, at that era uh, with the guys that I was with, man, I'm just so blessed. I would not be here today if I didn't have that, um, 
you know, that, that, that experience, that's for sure. Yeah. My, I'll quickly share my one. The only time I've ever been to Hawaii was for an MMA event. I was working with, um, I think Christine Miller was her name in the, it was X events. And, um, we did an event there where, um, Ishii Satoshi Ishii was fighting a, like an exhibition, uh, exhibition fight. And it was at, uh, Blaisdell arena. And, okay. um, the, I showed up, I was doing PR for the event. It was an internet pay-per-view thing. And I show up in the, <laughs> the ring announcers wearing like a cabbie hat with like a t-shirt and shorts. And I was just like, well, that's like, that's not cool. Like I was in like a sport code and you know, right, right, so right. I'm like, all right, dude, come on. And I know it's Hawaii, but I just, I, I just like, all right, I'm so, so will you do it? I was like, fine, I'll do it. So I announced like the <laughs> preliminary card, which I've never done in my life, but I'm like, sure, I'll do this. So first off, um, I got the cards mixed up and I, there was a Russian guy fighting a Hawaiian guy and I mislabeled them. And I knew it after the first guy, cause I announced the, like the Russian guy and the Hawaiian guy walks out and I'm like, well, that guy's not Russian. So, <laughs> and then what do I do? Just repeat the same names. Like, so I had to do like, I had to announce the Hawaiian guy when the Russian guy came out, even though I knew it was wrong. And then I said, uh, I said like Blaisdell or something instead of Blaise, uh, Blaisdell and the crowd, there was like 3000 people there just started booing me and they pretty much <laughs> booed me out of the cage for messing up the name. And I was like, in a way they saved me because there was more uh, like Felonico Vitale was on the card. So I knew how to say that name, but there were some Hawaiian names on there that I did not know how to say. So oh my goodness, it would have gotten really bad like later. So I like, I, after that, that was the end of the prelim part, which thankfully wasn't televised. And I get, I walk out of the cage and the dude's like standing there just kind of smirking at me like, all right, how'd that go? And I was just, yeah, man. Hey. I just handed him the mic and walked away. And that was, that was the end of my, uh, the, the end of my ring announcing career. You got thrown into deep water, huh? Yeah. Right <laughs> well, I didn't get thrown in. I dove in like a moron. Sure. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, I, I've been there and done that, man. Sometimes that's the best way to learn. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> I learned I wasn't cut out for that. So <laughs> yeah, but, very similar to my, my, uh, you know, my, 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 my fight experience, you know, one of those situations, two days out coach runs up to me. Hey man, you know, uh, there's an opening now, you know, one of your training partners, that's your weight, you know, lost, uh, you know, uh, we uh, lost him this morning to injury. He's off the card. You want to step in and, you know, there was deep water right there. And yeah. yeah, like just much like yourself, I decided to jump in instead of taking a step back. So, um, sometimes you just got to throw caution to the yeah, wind and just, just do go it. for it, huh? Yeah. Even if it ends up just being a funny story later on, you know? So. Yeah, totally. That's a great story, man. Yeah. Well, uh, so after, after uh, rumble on the rock, you get the opportunity with the lead XC. I believe TJ Thompson was the, was one of the guys with, with the lead XC, if I remember correctly. Yeah. You know, um, so JD called me one day, he goes, Hey, you know, I just met these guys. Uh, they're, 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 they're going big, you know, just a very, a very great call where he was really excited and uh, just basically said, it's time to step up. It's time to, you know, we're going to hit the road and go meet these guys in LA soon and just be ready. But I think this is what we've been working towards. You know, it's this great opportunity. So we were actually the first guys brought in um, as, as consultants. We were the first guys. Um, TJ and some other guys came on board later as 
as pro elite, the parent right. company started absorbing more of these regional promotions. Right. Right. And bought a bunch of them. Yeah. Yeah. In- including, um, icon sport at the time where super brawl right. evolved into icon sport. So that's where, you know, TJ, um, got, got more involved and, and, you know, we started you know, doing the shows together in Hawaii and, and now that, that's where, um, you know, really it's, you know, since, since we're talking about TJ, where, where my relationship with him kind of changed because, um, as I mentioned earlier, I started off, I fought for him, you know, uh, and, and from there I became his, um, competitor and his rival as he was doing, uh, icon and we were doing rumble on the rock. It's a right. small Island. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, he was the, he was the veteran. He was the OG that was like, Oh, who the hell are these young kids trying to, you know, tap into my market and, and right. tap into what I've helped create over here. And so there was a, there was a, a mostly um, friendly uh, rivalry and competition going on there. Kind, at of fr- kind of frenemies. Yeah, totally. And then we full circle, you know, we work at the same company. We're working together. We're on the same side. And him and I remain good friends to this day. And But yeah, that was um, uh, that was cool to see everybody come together. Again, being in a position where I could learn from someone like TJ you know, who, who was one of the pioneers here. Yeah. Forget about Hawaii, just in America. Yeah. yeah. You know, he was, he was, he, he was one of the guys, you know, that really helped, um, uh, bring, bring MMA, uh, really onto the scene, you know, and, Absolutely. uh, there were several other promotions and, um, organizations that got involved with, with what we were doing. And I really tried my best to learn from all of them, you know, different regions over in Europe, uh, Asia, you know, other parts of the country, um, just really having that experience. There's a lot of people that obviously have a lot to say about elite XC as a whole and kind of what happened there with the company. But, um, I did my best to learn from the people that were involved that, um, I really respected and that were doing good things. Well, another guy that was really respected and doing good things was the aforementioned Scott Coker. And there ended up being a partnership, a kind of a co-promoting relationship between elite XC and strike force before elite XC went under. Um, and, and so I want to talk about your transition over to strike force, but this is, is this how you number one, is this how you met Scott? And then what were your thoughts at that point on Scott and strike force? Were you looking over there as, Oh, this is competition or man, they're doing good things. Like what was your, your perspective on Scott and strike force at that point? Well, you know, I, I actually first met Scott a few years prior to elite XC, um, when I was at rumble on the rock. So Scott was putting on the K one events in Vegas. That's right. And, and, uh, we were uh, rumble on the rock. We were putting on the K one events in Hawaii. Ah, okay. So Scott came, came, uh, I, I believe I met him before, uh, we, we, we did a few shows with K one and the head, the, the, the main events were BJ versus Rodrigo Gracie and BJ versus Henzo Gracie. So I remember meeting Scott, um, at uh one of those shows can't specifically remember which one but i remember meeting him in waikiki sitting down and uh you know just a really really just nice guy um i felt like he was uh, observing us you know like just Mm -hmm. taking it all in kind of feeling us out as we were doing the same with him but very nice I, i i knew that he was doing uh great things in vegas with the with the k1 events there and then shortly after I remember um, uh, making the transition to Elite XC and then seeing him put on the first event in California. I mean, we, you know, over at the Shark Tank. I mean, yep. we had, we had, 
we had friends that were outside trying to get in, just calling us like, holy guys, it's freaking packed. Like yeah, I was there. I was yeah, there in the building. It, it, this is <laughs> yeah. crazy. Like, I think we're going to get in, but man, you know, this, this, this exceeded our expectations. And, you know, so I knew he was a great promoter. Um, I knew he, he was doing big things. And uh, when we did the co-promotions with Strike Force, I even got to see more of how he was just like, you know, he had San Jose and, and just kind of the, um, you know, he had the martial arts community united over here tremendously. Like he was just a great promoter, yeah. you know, to, to get in there. And, and what's funny is the whole, the whole relationship, um, how we started co-promoting, it, it didn't really come together like or organically, it was kind of forced, you know, through some legal issues where the settlement was um, between the two companies was, huh. um, okay. was uh, hey, you guys got to co-promote, right? So you're kind of coming in and I'm like, hey, Scott, good to see you again, <laughs> you know, but there's a little bit of that tension, mm -hmm. but I think he recognized that, you know, I certainly wasn't, you know, behind it all or kind of leading and um, driving it, but you know, we got past that. We got a chance to, to get to know each other better and learn from each other. And I was just very impressed with, with uh, what I saw uh, when I got a chance to kind of, you know, go behind the curtain with him and see how he ran strike. You know, he was running strike force at the time. It was, it was really cool. Well, obviously you impressed him as well, because after elite XC folds in the <laughs> fall of 08, um, you're brought in shortly afterwards to help with matchmaking uh, for strike force. And before that, from what I understand and, and the interviews I've done, I've talked with Javier Mendez. I've talked with Scott. It wasn't really like an official matchmaker. It was like Scott, uh, Javier and mostly Bob were doing like a lot of the matchmaking with Scott basically. And then you come in. So I believe you were like the first official matchmaker really besides Scott for strike force. So I'm curious, even though your run with the promotion actually ended up not being super, super long. I mean, it was, you were with them for two and a half years, basically yeah. um, from, from when you came on to, you know, after the acquisition, the Zufa acquisition, you, you stuck around for a little bit, but um, I'm curious, when was the, what was the first, I, I, did you like kind of consult a little bit or did you start matchmaking right away? What was the first card that you would say that you booked for strike force? You say I was the matchmaker for this card. Yeah, you know, uh, that, that, that is accurate, what you mentioned earlier, the, the whole situation and the structure. You know, there was no official matchmaker because Hav and Bob were running yeah. a gym. Yeah, they're AKA. So it's like, I, yeah. I totally understood that. I was like, you can't be like running a gym and then you're matching up fight. Like you're going to, everybody's going to think that you're being, um, you know, you're preferring your guys. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that, that that position, whoever sits in that chair as the official matchmaker needs to... Uh, you know, you certainly can't be managing and training guys, you know, you really got to be independent. And so, yeah, when I got brought in um, and it was made official, yeah, I was the first um, and last, I guess, but uh, um, my first, you know, the, to, to get things going, I was brought in to yeah, just consult kind of, you know, be, be around the group, make sure it was a good fit for both sides. You know, Scott, at that time, it's funny, you know, he, uh, he, he used the expression, you know, let, let's date before we get married. Right. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more because, you know, the, the, ultimately the job entailed a big life change. You know, I was living in Hawaii. He mm -hmm. needed someone up in San Jose. Yep. So before we got, you know, too far down the line, let's just make sure that this is going to be a good fit that I was going to get along with the team. So I remember going to, um, 
I want to say the first event that I went to may have been Lawler Shields in St. Louis. Okay. Okay. You know, so I flew out there and, um, you know, uh, spent, spent time and, and helped out with the team, um, and helped the team out during fight week for that one. And then I want to say after Carano cyborg, um, I remember meeting Scott the next day and, you know, getting the official offer. And we started talking about, um, making the move and yeah, that okay. was the kind of timeline that, that, that I remember. So I came in, worked a couple big events. We both made sure this was going to be a good fit. And fortunately it was. And then, yeah, after Carano cyborg, um, you know, he asked me to move up as quickly as I could and really, really jump in there because for him, I think he needed somebody again with, with no conflict of interest. He just, it was time because he was going at, at that moment from a, a really great regional show, you know, to a big national and really international brand. Right. Yeah. And I think he needed somebody in there full time without um, any uh, conflicts and just somebody that was going to be fully committed uh, to, to that role. Well, it, it, I mean, timing worked out well. And I just happened to, I was quickly kind of looking up dates, but um, the Lawler Shields card, I think was June of 09. And then obviously Corona Cyborg was in August of 09. And then the next card was actually Fedor's Strike Force debut. So Fedor versus Rogers. Um, so that's obviously that's a big one to uh to you know kind of be jumping in on basically. But um I, I want to talk about the matchmaking aspect of it. So I I've you've said in interviews that creating the matchups in the quote unquote war room is you know the easiest part of matchmaking, that it's it's actually putting putting them together that can be difficult. You have to deal with injuries, contract disputes, you know, other challenges, stuff like that. Um, you and I actually had a discussion. You may not even remember this, but you and I actually had a discussion uh, about this once because I was managing uh, Lyle Fan Fancy Pants Beer yeah. Bomb for a yeah. cup of coffee. And I remember talking to you because we were trying to line up his next fight. And I believe it ended up being the uh, Vitor Shallon Ribeiro um, fight. And I was just trying to get Lyle a bigger name, like not than, than, than Shallon, but uh, than his last fight. And so, I mean, his contract called for a certain amount. There wasn't really much to really negotiate and he needed a fight. So it wasn't like a, it was like a 10 minute phone call. It was nothing really major, but I, I you know, obviously dealing with, uh, you know, M1 for Fedor dealing with, you know, the various guys that you have over the years um, was matchmaking for strike force, any different than rumble on the rock, your time, you know, with pro elite with Bellator, like, was there anything that made it easier or harder with strike force or was it pretty much like, you know, it's the same everywhere. Cause you're dealing with athletes. It was, um, it was definitely uh, different. It was, it was, it was a big step up for me because we were transitioning from, um, a, a, you know, with elite XC, there were several, um, people involved because of the various organizations that we worked with. So we were always trying to pull from those organizations, right. right. To bring into the, uh, mothership so to speak but this was the first time it was really like hey we need to assemble a roster here you know and 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 really build this thing out yeah and and strike force branded fighters yeah and, and and that's the challenge is when you when you when you sit down and say all right this is our vision these are the guys who we believe in you know um because i do think you need to have layers right you need your elite level guys that are championship you know caliber guys now you need your, your, your contenders, you need your future contenders. Like that, that's the thing that's, 
that's tricky is building the roster out and, and really building those layers as opposed to just once they're there, it's easy. You know, this right. guy fight that guy, like it's, right. you know, you know, it's going to be a great fight. Like those things just kind of come together naturally when you have a great roster. So I've always felt like the challenge is building a great roster, first of all. And then you're, you're, I'm going to deal with all the other issues over time, the injuries, the contract disputes, all those different things that can happen that'll disrupt your business. But I think the key is building out a strong roster and continuing to, um, you know, just have it grow and also just have it flow, you know, uh, not everyone's going to stay on forever. Right. You, right. you gotta, if you're getting rid of guys, you're, 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 you're bringing in new guys that you feel can contribute. So it's just a constant maintenance of the roster is what I think personally is, is the greatest challenge. Um, and then once you're there, once you build a strong roster, it just gets a little easier for you as far as match, just making the matches. Of course, like, like we've said, you got to deal with all the that can happen in between, but build yourself a strong roster and it'll make your job easier. Okay. Well, you definitely had a lot of talent to work with. Uh, you know, like we said, you strike for the run with strike force ended up being about two and a half years. Uh, what do you consider to be highlights? I mean, for a matchmaker is a highlight that like, Oh, I put together this main event and it drew really well. And you know, the, the guys perform really well. Um, is it like I, you push for a fight that Scott or, you know, Bob or somebody else didn't necessarily think would work and ended up just being a great fight or you helped build this guy, you know, you had faith in this one guy or this one gal who, you know, that ended up really becoming a star that you discovered you, you know, you found that diamond in the rough. What, what kind of stands out in your mind as, as highlights for your time matchmaking with them? I think there are several, um, there are several great moments. I think several, um, what's the best way to wear this? You know, I wouldn't say guesses, but just several guys that, you know, we didn't, you a, we didn't maybe you had a feeling about, yeah, that, that, that we did believe in that we thought could be, could be great. And it ended up that, you know, playing out that they were, you know, that they were great. Unfortunately, it wasn't with strike force, <laughs> but you know, in, in, in a crazy way, their success, you know, the guys that moved on that I'm referring to, um, their success in the UFC really validated what, what, what we were doing and what we had done, you know? Yeah. So I think that, that the ability to identify talent, groom and develop talent was highlighted, uh, with, with these guys doing well and climbing, you know, to the top of the mountain in the UFC. Right. Um, it, it really, I think strike force, it was, you know, one of Strike Force's greatest contributions was kind of um, shattering certain myths. You know that 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 there are only only the best guys in the UFC. I think Strike yeah. Force really to this day is a great example and case study of how that's really not the case. Um, and that was really, I think, the first organization that really put a stamp on that. You know, uh, with Woodley, you know, Tyron Woodley, Luke Rockhold. Uh, Daniel Cormier, obviously, amongst others, you know, the yeah. guys that made the transition over um, ended up doing very, very well uh, over in the UFC. So clearly um, there can be great talent in other organizations. Yeah. How about the female fighters? You know, they, yeah. they, if there's strike forces, the promotion that gave them the platform to be, you know, women's fights obviously existed before that, but 
without strike force, there may be no, you know, Ronda Rousey, no Chris Cyborg, Misha. no Misha yeah. Tate. Yeah. Yeah. So Carlos, yeah, again, that, that's another great example of how, of, of the contribution, I think to the big picture, you know, um, another contribution strike force made and we made through our efforts, um, you know, Fedor losing to Verdum here in San Jose. Like, you know, these are, these are big moments in the sport. Um, that uh, I was just lucky to be a part of and that, you know, it was great to see him play out in the organization. But I think that just proved that how relevant we were, you know, yeah. we were onto something, we were putting on big relevant fights that kind of dictated, um, you know, who, you know, it, it really showed us uh, and, and, and helped us. And it really helped the sport evolve. You know, it showed us um, again, breaking certain myths and legends and, uh, and really just showing us, uh, just being a part of the progress of the sport. You know, I think yeah. we were, questions were answered and I think we were very, very relevant as far as um, that goes. Cause you know, it's, it's cool to pack arenas, um, which, which, which we were able to do and, and get great viewership and, you know, do all that. But, um, the big, big picture wise, I think we were important, um, to, to, to the growth of the sport and really help take it to the next level. Yeah. It's an important, it's an important, that's why I was on doing the podcast. It's an important part of the history of the sport, you know? So, um, well, I got one more question about strike force and then I, I did want to, um, talk about Wimp to warrior before we wrap things up. Uh, yeah. So in your, in your mind, actually, it's a kind of a two-part question in your mind, what was the biggest fight that you made in strike force? And then to the acquisition, what were your thoughts at the time of, of Scott selling the promotion to Dana, the UFC and, and for listeners as context, the idea was not that strike force would be, you know, absorbed or anything. I mean, strike force was supposed to run as a separate standalone promotion, but then the UFC starts bringing over it's, you know, it's best fighters and it ends up, you know, kind of bleeding it. And then, you know, they end up having, you know, end up folding it. But um, is there a fight that, you know, before the acquisition happened, you're like, this is the biggest fight that I made in strike force. And then your thoughts when, when you heard that Scott was going to be selling, you know, uh, as far as biggest fight, I think at that time, you know, the Fedor fights really, I think really, really stood out yeah. and really, really put everyone on notice. I mean, they best, uh, they drew the best ticket sales and ratings post Frank Shamrock. Yeah. They really, you know, they're the, really the, the, the shows that did the best. Yeah. I think the, the Fedor fights were always huge. Um, you know, help, help get us back on network TV, back on CBS. I for, a, for a little while. Thank yeah. you. Uh, thank you, Jake and uh, yeah. Nashville. <laughs> yeah, I know where, where you are right right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I can still feel the ghosts around yes. here. <laughs> no, we, we exercised those demons last time I was there. I yeah. brought someone with me. We had a little ritual and we, we, Take care of that, but but you know, at that time, honestly, the Fedor fights were huge because, uh, I mean, you no, know, he's he he's he's to me, he's the goat heavyweight. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and back then, as I mentioned earlier, it just showed you know he didn't he didn't win them all, but it just we were we were relevant and we were um, able to be a part of history in kind of. I wouldn't say by any means were we, you know, s celebrating his, his decline or anything like that, but questions were answered, you know, this was yeah. a big moment in history where, you know, you saw him lose and, and then you saw him, um, you know, and just where that took uh, other people's careers and where that all led, you know, into the heavyweight grand prix and, 
and and ultimately with the sale, right? Yeah. So I think when when I look back at that moment, I think there are um, there may not have been bigger moments than the Fedor moments. You know, um, uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to to top the you know the Frank Shamrock Caesar Gracie. Not that that was a great fight, but that moment, eighteen thousand people there. You know, I was at the last uh, Strike Force kickboxing pick, kickboxing event in the same arena. Uh, the previous year. And there was like 3000 people there. And I was the only journalist. So it was uh, quote unquote in the room. And, you know, that was at press row basically. Um, and, and so to go from that to the next year, 18,000, that's pretty hard to top, you know, from just like a promotional standpoint. I mean, the uh, Josh Thompson, Gilbert Melendez trilogy, I mean, you know, something that's almost entirely strike force. Carano cyborg. I was there that night as well. And that was an amazing atmosphere. And the fact that those ladies, you know, essentially drew such a huge house and all, I mean, and and that was the first time, sorry to interrupt, but just to add to that, it was the first time I believe that women had headlined a major promotion on uh, on, uh, television. So there's just so many great things that happen. And and again, why we were relevant and how we helped contribute to, to growing and building the sport at that time it was really cool. Very lucky to have been there, but it just seems like, you know, Fedor coming in, being the greatest fighter in the world at that time, where his career went from there. Those just felt like the biggest moments. I mean, there's so many fun fights we had, as you mentioned, Caesar versus Frank is huge in its own right, but for different reasons, you know, like the, 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 there wasn't the the question of that. That was like a great grudge match. And obviously the Bay area was really into it, but the best, the title of the best fighter in the world or the goat wasn't on the line that night. Right. Oh yeah. You know no. what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> no, no. like that, but, but that, but that evening had its own significance, just like Carano cyborg did just like, you know, Fedor Rogers was back on CBS and yep. then, you know, Fedor Verdum is where kind of, we saw the goat, you know, yeah. um, broke my heart. You know. <laughs> yeah. Look like, 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 like everyone else. I specifically remember sitting cage side, and seeing it all play out and he taps and I'm sitting near the corner of um, near uh, Verdum's corner. And then Babalu turns to me, he's crying. Wow. And then they start, you know, trying to jump in the cage. Bob and I had to go, (laughs) you know, control that situation along with, you know, our, our staff. And I very, I I remember that, that moment, you know, uh, Thompson Melendez, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that was an, that was an awesome trilogy. You know, there's just so many great, uh, moments and just re- reminiscing with you just get man I just it just makes me feel good right now um, I feel proud and I, most of all I feel very lucky and that I got that chance to be a part of it so thank you Scott yeah yeah thank you Scott seriously um, well I, I I did ask the the question of how you felt about when you know Scott said they was going to be selling the promotion I I would imagine that was disappointing but I'm uh, curious as I did want to see that question through. Yes. Um, I was surprised, definitely surprised. I was look, I, that is just one of the many experiences granted it's, it's a big one, but I've been just through so much in this industry. The ups and downs have been just insane. You know, one minute you're celebrating an epic success and, you know, breaking a record or establishing a new benchmark and the next minute, you know, you're bought out or the next minute, you know, you're, you're, you're on the verge of going on. It just the ups and downs fill that, that is one of the the many experiences that, that kind of really 
you know, personally and professionally toughened me up, man. Like this is a crazy industry. It's extremely volatile. You're going to have to be calm and, and, and just remain steadfast to get through these kind of situations. And, and the aftermath of that, you know, it, it could have gone, you know, things could have gone, um, you know, there was, there was like all these different directions at that time. I'm like dealing with this, you know, and I'm like, man, I could do this. I can do that. There was just a lot of room to overreact. There's just, there was a real test, you know, Uh, it was a real test. Um, Look, Scott and I continue to work together. Right. Uh, Even to this day, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, the official matchmaker anymore, but we still, um, you're still consulting, on projects. Yeah, you're still consulting yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think that that says a lot that we've been through a lot and that, you know, when things get tough and things get, you know, things take a turn for the worse, like, how are you going to respond? Are you going to freak out and, you know, do something you may regret later that, you know, there's just so many, uh, there, there, this could have played out in, 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 a, in a lot of different ways. Like there were some people that haven't really fully recovered from that. You know, they kind of took it in this direction and, um, you know, did, did their own thing. And, and just the way I handled it was the best way for me. And uh, that experience, just like I said, toughened me up personally and professionally and put me in a situation to where today um, I'm not freaking out when there's these types of situations, you know? that's a big, you know, to be just doing such a great job and to be celebrated and enjoy people were rooting for us back then, Phil. I really, really felt that it was cool. Like we were the the underdogs who were putting on these fun shows and doing these cool things and going for it. And just overnight, boom, to just be like, uh, you know, unemployed and just kind of trying to figure out what to do next. You know, you, you could overreact and and say and do some things that could um, put you in a really bad situation. And thankfully, I, I I didn't. I just I remained resilient and quiet and just observed more than I you know uh, I, I listened and watched more than I spoke. And I just let everything play out. And uh, fortunately, I I guess I made the right moves at that time during a very turbulent time. Well, it, it did end up working out. Um, I believe you worked with uh, clothing, uh, clothing maker RCVA for a while and then end up once Scott takes the reins of Bellator, you end up being the matchmaker there as well. 2014 and 2021, you know, you oversaw uh, a lot of growth within the promotion. Obviously, the Bellator is much different than it was back then. But, you know, seven successful years, then April of, of this year, 2021, you decided to leave your full time role there. Uh, at Bellator for an opportunity with a, a, a new company went to warrior, which is a fitness pro- program where participants spend 20 weeks working with top coaches and training partners, learning everything from striking, striking, grappling, strength, conditioning, all of that with the end goal being uh, having the option of having an amateur bout, which sounds, sounds very cool to me. Um, but being that you were, and, and I know your family, your, 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 your children are growing up and you want to be able to be there for them and all that. So that it makes sense from that perspective, but it's definitely, you know, a risk on your part. So, um, you know, I want to hear about, uh, you know, this huge decision to leave Bellator and, and yes, you're still consulting with them, but, you know, go, I'd like to hear about Wimp to Warrior and what you, what y'all are doing there and what grabbed you so much about their mission that made you comfortable leaving that full-time role with Bellator to go to this, this new, uh, this new role. 
Yeah, you know, there's some guys that uh, were, were very shocked when I made the move. And um, I was one of them, by the way. <laughs> yeah, look, some people probably, uh, you know, think and thought that I was just absolutely crazy to give up one of the few gigs there are out there. You know, there's probably four or five. Yeah, yeah, full time. Yeah. yeah, level. Yes, um, where you're you're just operating at that high level. You know, doing elite championship caliber, world class MMA. Yeah, there aren't there aren't there aren't that many gigs out there. Um, but I just felt it was my time to. Uh, to, to continue to, to learn, grow and evolve, um, you know, entering my forties, being a father, having, having done this for the better, you know, part of the last two decades, I just felt like it was a time to learn, grow and evolve and, and, uh, and, and just mix things up. And, uh, you know, fortunately the Wimp to warrior opportunity was there for me to, uh, to embrace and, uh, man, to be, still be able to be involved with, um, with my passion, it was like a, a very smooth, seamless transition to go from fight promoting to, uh, you know, the uh, Wimp to Warrior business because, yeah, I'm still working with the same guys. We're still working with great coaches. We're still involved in, 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 in the world of MMA training and, um, and doing, doing, doing really good things to me to transition from, hey, let's, let's look for the best guys in the world let's um, put on the biggest fights we can to, Hey, let's get everyday people to go out and, and, and be better, you know, train, learn martial arts. I mean, to me, the more I'm involved, the more I feel like it's more mental than physical, you know, um, to really help people do things that they couldn't do. You know, this is just a really great way to build that confidence self-esteem and just get people to be a better version, you know, to be better versions of themselves. So when I saw that, I thought, look, that's a great challenge. That's a great opportunity. It's a great way to help the sport grow just in a, in, in a different manner, but yeah, we're, we're, we're out there um, trying to capitalize on the growth of the sport from a fan perspective. Like we have all these fans that are fascinated and love watching these fights. Well, our, our, our goal is to, reach out to them and, and get them to, uh, to, to take the, the next step and learn more about the sport and train and just get involved and train and, 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 and go to their, um, you know, to, to, to the, to the great gyms in their areas. In fact, for you, Phil in Nashville, we have a great partner there. Yeah. Nashville MMA. That's Michael right. Chandler's gym. That's right. And yeah. we're going to be running a program there early next year. I'm inviting you. I'm challenging you. Okay. Challenge <laughs> to go in there, train, learn, and it's, it's great to get fit, right? It's, it's great to learn martial arts, learn new things, learn a, a great skill. But I think the things that it can do for you mentally and uh, uh, spiritually are, are, are really going to benefit you for the rest of your life, you know, whether you continue to train or not. And it's just, it's just a really great, just a pure, you know, a pure goal that I saw. And I'm like, you know what? This just feels right. I'd love to jump on board. I've tried to grow the sport, done my best to grow it through um, events. And now I'm going to try my best to help gyms grow and to help the sport grow through part participation and just getting more people on the mat learning and just having fun with what we all love. Yeah. Well, I, I, we're just about out of time. So I want to ask one more question, but I was, it's went I checked out the site in preparation for this and that's where I saw uh, I just, you know, it, it, you, when you look up a location, you put in your, uh, your zip code and it'll tell you the closest uh, gym that's, that's participating. And I saw it was Nashville MMA, which I 
like I said, knows Michael Chandler's gym. So I was, and there's some really cool testimonials on the site as well. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued and, and yeah, I'm down. I, I would love to, I would love to give it a try. So it, it seems like a great program. There's some really great names involved in this, obviously, including um, Rich, including you. So uh, yeah, again, whip definitely worth checking out and uh, checking out if there's a gym that's uh, affiliated in your area. And I'm, I'm planning to, to look into it further, but um, one final question before I yep. let you go out of, you know, super brawl, rumble on the rock strike force Bellator, all your, your years in the sport, what is your favorite fight that you were cage side for, whether you made the match or not, what's the fight that stands out? This is my favorite fight. And, and why, man, that is a really, <laughs> really good one. Um, man, there are so many, man, <laughs> look at you. I, uh, I'll, t- I'll, I'll quickly tell you one that stands out in my mind for me while you're, you know, while yeah, you're yeah, thinking yeah. about it, um, was, was the, the Fedor Verdun one, not because I was, so I was there in the press box and it's not my favorite because I I'm such a huge Fedor Mark fan, whatever you want to call it. Like such a huge fan. I was genuinely saddened when he lost, like I was like, saw his head turning purple and I'm like, no, this is <laughs> like, he's going to get out of it. There's no way, but it's a minute into the fight, no sweat, you know, and you got a world like legit world champion Brazilian jiu-jitsu player. Like, you know, that was there in retrospect, it was actually fairly easy, but the reaction of the crowd, I like, it's the only time I could think of that I would describe as a hushed roar that it was just like, there was reaction, but it wasn't cheering. It wasn't booing. It was just like reaction. And so that moment, even though it was sad for me personally, has always stuck out in my mind. So it wasn't so much the action in the cage, it was more the emotion that it elicited from the crowd. And that's what makes that moment stand out in my mind um, more than pretty much any, any other, other than I wasn't cage side for it, but I was there was the Shamrock Gracie, you know, that first one, just surveying 18,000 people. And I was somebody that I considered to be an early support. I was there, you know, for strike force. I, I was an early supporter of the promotion. It was my home promotion and seeing like, even though I didn't know any of those guys yet, I hadn't met Scott. I hadn't met Frank you know, I hadn't met any of those guys to see what they had pulled off, like was just, you know, I, I just, I was proud, even though I wasn't even really a part of it other than just being there. So my, my moments are more about, again, the reaction and the emotion and, and, you know, the, the excitement from the crowd versus like what actually happened in the cage. So I don't know if that helps your answer. At oh, all. It, you know, it, it does. Um, and you, you described that scene perfectly, by the way, that's exactly, Yeah. It, I'll, I'll never forget it. You know, you, you described it perfectly, you know, people's jaws, like yeah. they walk around and pick them up off yeah. the floor, man. <laughs> yeah. They were just dropped. No one expected that. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, there's so many, you know, they're not necessarily the biggest events, you know, as far as, uh, you know, gate attendance ratings, you know, they're just kind of more personal things, you know, for me they're, and, and there, 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 there are quite a few, um, uh, it'd be difficult for me to just, you know, name one, but I, you know, two that off the top, my, off the top of my head and what's what I'm feeling right now at this moment, I'd say BJ versus Henzo Gracie. That was at Aloha stadium. That was the okay. first time it had, an event had been in the stadium. Um, we did that in conjunction with K one and, uh, man, it was like, that was the first time we just dreamt big, you know, what's the biggest thing we can do. Just a couple of local boys in Hawaii sitting down, martial arts geeks, just 
just thinking big, you know, that was the first event that really, when we pulled that off, I was like, we can do anything. You know, we brought Henzo all the way over here to fight BJ. K1 is broadcasting this event, you know, all over the world. We're in Aloha Stadium, you know, like this, this is monumental. And just a couple guys, obviously we had K1 backing us and supporting us, but really we were the guys on the ground yeah. putting all of this together. And I think, so that event, although it's not one of those like all-time great classic fights that people talk about, again, what it meant to me and what it gave me and, and what I felt after, you know, that, that certainly was a big milestone, uh, which led directly, you know, to uh, um, getting an opportunity to, to, to put on Shamrock versus Gracie for a, the first elite XC event. And to take that, have that confidence and that experience to build off that, to take that right into we're launching MMA on premium cable. We're the guys yeah. that got that opportunity. And without the stadium show, you know, to have that imagination and confidence, you know, I, I think that's where we first got it was um, it was great putting on shows at the Blaisdale but several people had done that before, you know, and to put on BJ versus Henzo and what that meant for the fight community, the jujitsu community, you know, perhaps that event, I think was like, I felt like the first big, big show, man, Phil, okay. where I just got a taste, where, where, where I got a taste of it and I got the confidence that I could be a part of it and I can pull it off, you know, with, with the right team. So awesome. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. Well, Rich, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, I've really enjoyed this. Um, it's been great, you know, sort of re reminiscing, but also, well, yeah, reminiscing and then also learning a lot. So I appreciate your time. Thank you for being on Inside the Hexagon. Thank you, man. This was a, a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to go watch some Strike Force fights now <laughs> and uh, continue this great nostalgic uh, moment. But no, thank you very much. I'm glad you are celebrating a very special time in the sport. I know as we move on, you know, people tend to forget things. The, the, the best thing you saw was the last thing you saw kind of right. we're, we're in that generation of consumption and media the way it is. And, and it's, it's nice that, uh, you know, people remember, uh, the, 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 the roots and, and remember, um, the guys that helped contribute, um, most, most notably and throughout this conversation, Scott Coker. So, yeah. you know, I want to just take this moment to thank him again. I do it often, but, perhaps not, not often enough, you know, thanks Scott for the opportunity that he gave me, um, just helped, help, help, helped, uh, help my dreams come true, man. So thanks for acknowledging all the work we did at that time. All right. I want to thank my very special guest, Rich Chow for taking the time to be with me on the show. I really, really enjoyed reconnecting with Rich and getting his insights into, you know, his time with Strike Force, of course, but also talking about uh, his formative years and then, you know, touching a little bit on on his Bellator years. And then, of course, the Wimp to Warrior program, which I'm I'm excited about. I'm, I'm digging in deeper. I'm, I'm really going to check it out and see if it's uh, something I can make work. I would really, really like to do that. So uh, very cool conversation with Rich. And, and he took an extra long time with me, which, again, I really appreciate. And I hope that you really enjoyed as well. Hope that you're also enjoying our other content. Coming up, we are going to be covering Strike Force Feijal versus Henderson, which have, as you may have guessed, featured a a main event with the light heavyweight title on the line with Feijal defending his title against Dan Henderson in the co-main event. 
Marlos Kunin puts her women's bantamweight belt on the line against Liz Carmouche. You've also got Tim Kennedy versus Melvin Manhoff. Uh, so this is a good one. I'm, I'm looking forward to covering this card, and, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to dive into it with Josh. Then the week after that, we have another big ma- big name, the man himself, Tim Kennedy. I've already interviewed him, and, and it's a great chat. We talk about his time with Strikeforce. He obviously, from the from the interview, you can hear it. He just really enjoyed and misses Strikeforce. And so we talk about the fight with Melvin. We talk about the the you know the mindset that went into it and the execution and then just kind of Tim's overall run with the promotion. So uh, it's a really good educational opportunity uh, and interview. I mean, I learned some things that I didn't know before. So that's going to be coming up. Uh, but with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. You can, of course, follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter and on Instagram at the Hexagon Pod. And you can reach me at fill it inside the hexagon.com. And then I haven't asked for this in a while, but I would love for you to rate and review the show if you can take a couple of minutes on Apple Podcasts and give us a, a five star rating and review. I mean, that would just be awesome. It helps others find the show. And, and I would really appreciate that. And of course, you can find us on evergreenpodcast.com. You can find other evergreen podcasts within the network that we are a part of there as well. But with that, we're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset. Hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy. And we will see you soon. Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 